You're listening to the Knowledge Archives podcast. Welcome to the Knowledge Archives podcast. We're a group of students on a mission to learn from as many different disciplines of knowledge as possible. I'm your host, Madhav Malhotra, and today I'm glad to be joined by Dr. Manan Schweinfurt from the University of St. Andrews in the UK. Her research focuses on the evolutionary and psychological origins of cooperation, especially in animals like rats and non-human primates. I'm very excited to learn more about this interesting behavior and its origins. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about your research, and I know that this is a very, very specific area of psychology that we're going to be talking about, but I think that's what makes it a lot more interesting. So. To start off, I'd love to just ask you a little bit about yourself and your past work and research interests. Yeah, thank you very much for the kind invitation. I'm really excited to talk about my research today. My name is Manon Schweinfurt. I'm originally from Germany and I'm now a lecturer at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And my research is mostly concerned with the evolutionary and psychological origins of corporations. So basically I study why People and other humans help each other while they cooperate with each other, both in terms of how this develops in terms of evolution or how they maintain it in terms of psychological processes. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very interesting area of psychology, especially because this behavior is very common amongst humans. But it's also surprising to me to learn about some of the animal species you were studying and learning that it's also common among those. So we quickly start off by talking about cooperative behavior and why it's important to study in, say, animal groups with regards to the specific species that you study. Yeah. So I think when we study the importance of social behavior or the importance of reciprocity in this, so when we look at animal behavior or animal groups, what we realize is that it's very frequent that they cooperate and that they help each other. And that's actually quite surprising when we look at the evolution of such behavior. So Darwin proposed that those that, are, uh, that outcompete others, these are the ones that reproduce, these are the ones that survive better and so on. So why do we then observe that other animals or humans, why do they help others? Why would you ever help a competitor? And that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm studying. And Actually, even Darwin recognized that this is a major threat to his whole theory of natural selection. And uh, many, many years later, the theory of kin selection was proposed, which basically said, all right, uh, we can explain cooperation by relatedness. So you should help someone who is related. And when the latter one then reproduces better, you're indirectly transferring genes to the next generation. And that was a major breakthrough back then. But obviously, that can't explain all kinds of cooperation, right? We know from humans, we help friends, we help strangers, and we see the same in the animal kingdom. They also help unrelated individuals. So why would they do that? And then um, a couple of years later, Robert Trevers proposed the theory of reciprocity, which is the theory I'm mostly interested in. And that theory basically says, if you help someone, who will help you in the future, that is beneficial to you. So basically, if one individual helps another one and they take turns and reciprocate and help each other out at several occasions, 
they are better off than those individuals who never help, but also never receive help when they are in need. And so that was, again, a major breakthrough. And that was really, okay, now we can explain cooperation even between unrelated individuals. And then the first examples, the first evidence appeared, basically. And people said, well, yeah, that's a major, that's a really important theory. Today, people think, oh, well, reciprocity might not be super relevant in other animals. We humans do it all the time. I mean, we reciprocate with friends. With, uh, I mean, business partnerships are based on reciprocity. Nations help each other according to reciprocity, right? And we even feel these, this strong obligation to reciprocate. You know, just think about a way too big Christmas gift. We feel obliged to give something really big in return, right? So are we the only one who reciprocate? Or do we share a history of that in other animals? And that's what I'm interested in. And I try to collect evidence for them, try to understand how humans and other animals actually reciprocate with each other. Mm -hmm. And you described, you know, with all of these examples, how prominent this behavior is down to the individual level with mm -hmm. how we gift with each other, but it's all the way up to how nations treat each other. So it's really interesting to consider how important this is for human societies. But as you mentioned, it doesn't intuitively come to us that it can also be very relevant in animal societies. So I'm wondering, in the species you've been studying, first of all, could we talk about which species those are and why it's especially interesting to study these particular species for social behavior? And then the other thing is, in their kinds of day-to-day -day lives, what is the role that it plays in how they behave with each other? Okay, so I start with the animal species, maybe. Uh, so I think when Trevis proposed his theory, the first animals were impala lambs, actually. So these were, they were grooming each other and people wondered whether that grooming behavior could be explained by reciprocity. And they looked at received and given allogrooming behavior. Later, some fish examples followed. So these were mainly a small fish that are inspecting big predators. And they are, of course, very brave. And they, they go with a partner, they team up, and then they take turns who is closer to the predator. Now, I think there are mainly three model organisms we are studying in terms of reciprocity. The first one is the capuchin monkey. So they, they are known to trade food with each other according to reciprocity and so on. And then the other model organism, which might be a bit stranger, are vampire bats. So these bats, they fly out every night and they uh, feed on the blood of other animals. And so when they return to their roost, they are full with blood. But not all the bats manage to get a blood meal. And because they are so small, they risk starving within one or two nights if they don't get a blood meal. So those that come back successfully and have eaten some blood, they regurgitate and give some blood to the unsuccessful one. And again, like previously, those that help each other out, they are better off than those who never help and also never receive any blood. And the third big model organism, I would say, are rats, and these are the ones that I'm mostly working with. And rats are, despite having a quite bad reputation, they're actually really nice with each other. And I've shown that they share food with each other according to reciprocity or they groom each other reciprocally. 
In terms of how important reciprocity is for their lives, that's a really tricky question. So imagine you would go out and study a bunch of monkeys, for instance, and you would look at allogrooming behavior and you would want to ask, well, is this monkey now grooming the other monkey because of reciprocity? And that's actually quite difficult to assess because there are maybe other factors coming into play. Maybe the monkey grooms the other monkey because they are related or because the other one is a, a higher ranking individual or they are friends or they are just sitting next to each other, you know. And so it's actually quite difficult task to assess how important reciprocity really is for the life of others. But I think it's a super interesting and important question that I'm also trying to assess in my research. Mm -hmm. And exactly pertaining to that, when it comes to how we try to understand these animals' behavior, I know I was looking at a few of your research papers and it was talking about game theory and the just simple examples of game theory with ones like the prisoner's dilemma, where people are better off cooperating than just never cooperating. It seems that simple model pertains to what you were talking about earlier with how animals that never help each other are clearly worse off. But when it comes to studying the animal behavior, you talked about all of the complexity involved on top of that. So I'd love to talk about some of the approaches you use to study animal behavior and how accurate it is to take some of the tools we have for studying human behavior and then apply those onto animals? Okay, so I think these are two big questions in one. And I tried to start with saying a little bit about different possible factors. So that's what we already touched. So for instance, in the example of primates, I mean, non-human primates are a super big group, right? There are over 250 different species. And I, I looked at the literature that was published on non-human primates, trying to understand the relevance of reciprocity, trying to understand under which circumstances reciprocity is important. And you're absolutely right. There are different factors that might also impact how cooperative they are. And the answer is non-human primates differ a lot. Some, for instance, don't care about hierarchy. Others strictly groom up the hierarchy. So there is no reciprocity involved. They only groom the higher ranking individual. They might not even expect much in return. It might be just an appeasement. Like, okay, I groom you, please, the next time. You have, I don't know, you're aggressive. Don't beat me up, right? So that other primates groom down the hierarchy. So there is only the dominant individuals grooming the lower ranking one in order to keep their rank. Others, for instance, they only help kin, they only help relatives. Others are a bit more relaxed and also help unrelated individuals. Chimpanzees, for instance, they form really strong alliances with friends in order to take over the alpha position of a group, for instance. The time frame is also very important. So some primates try to balance what they've received um, within a couple of minutes, mandrills, for instance. So they try within a couple of minutes, usually five minutes, they try to repay what they got. In other primates, we can see reciprocity only over really long time frame, like months. So you see that there are many different factors coming into play. 
Now going back to your question about game theoretical models. Game theoretical models differ a lot. So there are some really big models and some very specialized models. And um, when we think about big models, we already talked about one. One model could be the kin selection theory. And the model actually is very simple. It just says, okay, the benefits that you get when you help times the relatedness, relatedness between you as a helper and the one you're helping needs to be greater than the costs of help, right? So that is a very, it might look simple, but it's a really broad model. And of course, it's not really accurate because of all the factors we've already discussed. There are other models who are very accurate, have a high predictive power. Think about some of these very specific models that try to explain specific cascades in a cell, for instance, and they have a really high predictive power. So models differ a lot from each other, and it's always up to us as researchers when we use them and for what we use them. And maybe to give you an example for when I, when I use game theorem models is, I use them mainly for two, two aspects. One aspect is I use them as a way to generate hypotheses, and one is to use them to test ideas. So maybe you are aware of a quite famous experiment done in the 80s by X-Road and Hamilton, where they asked others to send in suggestions for cooperative strategies. So cooperative strategies are how would you cooperate with others? One strategy is to just be cooperative with everybody. However, others might not pay back. And so it's not a particularly good strategy because others might exploit you. So he received many different strategies. And then they did some game theoretical models trying to understand which of these different strategies is a good strategy. And the winner was tit for tat which is basically start cooperative and then copy the move of your partner. That was just a hypothesis. They did not know whether tit for tat would ever exist in, in nature, but they said, well, this is a very powerful strategy that might exist because it can theoretically evolve. And then empiricists like me, they go and have a look whether these hypotheses are actually met in nature. So that's an example for a hypothesis. However, you can also use game theoretical in another way. So there was, for instance, a theory that animals might reciprocate based on similarities. So if I'm related to another individual, this individual is obviously as related to me as I am to them. So I should just help based on similarities. Same goes for proximity. If I spend time with you in proximity, you are automatically spending time with me in proximity too. That sounds like a super easy way of reciprocating. You don't need to keep track of anything, just base your decision on similarities. But then there were theoreticians trying to understand this theory and they said, well, no, this cannot evolve. We tested this in our models and it cannot evolve because you can easily cheat. You can just hang out in the proximity of someone else, not doing anything and just receiving help. And so this is where empiricists and theoreticians work together. That's a very interesting introduction into the different aspects that you have to consider when taking these tools from different disciplines and putting them together into this very specialized application. 
And on that note, it would be very interesting to hear your thoughts about the interdisciplinary work that you're doing. Because when I think about it, it seems like this kind of analysis has a bunch of applications. For instance, when you were talking about the idea of proximity, I was thinking about how when people are more related to each other, for instance, people of a similar culture or a similar religion, then they're more likely to help each other. And, you know, that's just a hypothesis. And obviously I'd have to do a bunch more digging about that. But it seems really obvious how when this is a really key part of many animal species, then there are a bunch of applications here. And when you study this behavior, then you can take other models, for instance, with game theory. But then also when you apply the results that you get, they can be applied to many different disciplines. Could you talk a little bit about your personal experience with the applications of this work in different disciplines, but also how you've been running these studies and taking theories from different disciplines to be able to find the results? Yes, so I work quite interdisciplinary, that's true. So my background is in evolutionary biology. So I studied biology. I'm now at a psychology department and I'm working together with anthropologists, primatologists, social psychologists, philosophers, mathematicians, and so on. And I think that this is really key in order to understand what's going on. And we try to use different methods, methods from different disciplines, different concepts, and we try to learn from each other by looking at the same problem from different angles. And I personally have always liked this collaboration. It's sometimes difficult because we talk different languages, but I think it's always, it has always been super fruitful. In terms of applications, I would say it might sound weird maybe, but I do my research not with the ultimate goal of producing an application or producing something. So I'm, I'm from Germany and when you translate the, the term scientist to German, it literally means knowledge generator, knowledge creator. And that's pretty much how I see myself. I create new knowledge, which I find super exciting. That does not mean that there are no applications, but it's not my ultimate goal. And by creating new knowledge, I strongly believe that that's how we shape our society. Think about how Darwin's theory has changed the way how we look at ourselves, how we look at nature, how we look at other animals. And that's made by creating new knowledge. But that doesn't mean that my research does not come with direct applications. So... My research highlights the cognitive and emotional abilities of animals. And that's really fundamental for creating awareness for animal welfare and conservation. I've worked a lot with rats, and I think especially in rats, that's super important. We kill billions of rats every year in cities because they're destroying things, they're contaminating food and so on. And if we understand more about their social system, we might be able to develop strategies to preventively keep spaces secure from rats. So we don't need to kill them. We respect them where they are. We also keep millions of rats in the lab. And by understanding their social needs, we might be better able to provide them with, with the right housing resources. But my research also highlights that humans are a part of the system. We are part of them. 
we have a shared history with other animals. We might be a little bit less unique than we might want to think. And my research also shows that cooperation pays off in the long run. And I think that's a message that is as important as it never has been currently. Yes, I think it's so, so interesting to think about all of the different applications you mentioned from the ones that you would never think about from how the laboratory mice, we need to take care of them. And this can help us better do that. I think that's, a, that's an application that only a scientist can uniquely highlight, but then also mm -hmm. the ones about how we treat each other as humans and how these kinds of studies on animals have also shown us how to better behave with each other and actually do this in a way that makes sense to unlock more results over time, as game theory has shown us. But then I think it's also very, very important to highlight it that the role of a scientist isn't necessarily to be affiliated with the applications of the research and just to pursue knowledge with a curiosity is more so the role of the scientist. But then obviously, as we produce more of this knowledge than there are, the other, say, engineers or tinkerers or other makers in our society that can take this knowledge and create very, very useful applications of that. I think it's really, really interesting to hear about that kind of separation. Yeah, that's really true. And I mean, usually we as scientists might not be aware of some applications, you know. Think about the development of insulin, for instance. That started 30 years ago by someone testing frog legs. And that's why people are needed coming from different angles, different disciplines to look at results and say, oh, wow, that's actually interesting. We, we can use that for something. Or we just create knowledge and learn about us and about the world and be curious about it. Yes, I think having that separation is so important because there are so many examples in the past of how scientists, if they had only been motivated by the end results of the knowledge, then there are so many areas that we just would have thought aren't promising to look into. But then we see that, you know, we're not always right. There are discoveries out there that we just don't have the intuition to be able to judge whether this area of research is going to be useful or not. So it's very important to just be curious and take that wide variety of research and go down those rabbit holes that sometimes do turn out to be very promising. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so then the last area that I wanted to ask you about is when it comes to this field as a whole and also your research in particular, I wanted to ask about some of the gaps that currently exist in the research out there when it comes to this subject. I was thinking about one interesting thing that you mentioned at the beginning, which is that we mainly use three model species in conducting this research, and that's with animals. And we were talking to a bunch of entomologists recently, so they were just talking about if you looked at which species are animals, then, well, virtually all animals are insects. So it was just interesting for me to think about how much more there is to discover in just looking at other, say, mammalian species, but then also how much more room there is to study other species as, say, one gap in research. But I'm sure there are many others. No, I totally agree. And I think the social insects especially, I mean, they are doing all sorts of amazing and cool things. And I think they are really pushing the boundary of what we think about cognition and brain and the role of brains. So I think that's really, really cool. 
I agree. We need to, there is a lot to learn still. And I think when we think about the evolution of cooperation and how it is maintained, I think we're still just scratching at the edge of it. I mean, we, we haven't understood a lot about it. And as you said, I think by combining different disciplines, I think we can get closer at understanding why are we and other animals so cooperative? And I think it's something that I've always been super interested in is how widespread is reciprocity? Are there different forms of reciprocity? Is there higher cognition needed? Do ants, for instance, also reciprocate? We don't know that. We don't understand the different mechanisms. Is ant reciprocity, if there is some, is that different to human reciprocity? What different forms do we find there? And so on. I think there, there are lots of questions just out there. And if I would pick another one that was the one that got me into studying biology, I always wondered as a child, and I still wonder about this, how do animals perceive the world? How do they think about others? How do they feel about others? How do they make their decisions? And I think we're maybe a little bit closer to answering that, but still far away. So I think there is still a, really a lot to learn, and that's also great in itself. Yes, and I think that gives context as to how interesting this field is already, but how much more potential there is to keep up with its growth. So I really am going to be looking forward to seeing more research in this area and your work in this area in the next little while. But I just wanted to thank you for providing all of these insights, and it's obvious to see how passionate you are about this field of research. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, finally, if someone was curious to learn more about your work or this field in general, where might they go? Yeah, so if you just Google my name, then I think you'll find me. I have a website and I'm always happy to be contacted. So just drop me an email. Right, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for making the time again. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of these podcasts. And I think it's a really great initiative. And it was great talking to you. 